0: Welcome to the Experiential Education Podcast. This week, I'm talking with Dan Shaw, who is facilitator for the Medical Reserve Corps at the Bosque School in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Dan has earned both his master's and teaching license through the University of New Mexico College of Education. Now, in his 25th year as a Bosque School science teacher, the Rio Grande and its Bosque which is a type of gallery forest along the floodplains, are his classroom. There, his students build a sense of place through next generation science standards aligned with learning adventures. One day, they can be found mapping the home ranges of porcupines as they're captured and radio collared. The next day, they could be splashing in the river with US Fish and Wildlife Service biologists surveying the endangered Rio Grande silver minnow. For 39 years, Dan has been some combination of firefighter and state licensed emergency medical technician, or EMT. He was affiliated with the Placitas District, Sandoval County Fire Department for 29 years, five of which he served as the district's fire chief. And I do apologize if I pronounce that incorrectly. He has been the service director and faculty advisor for the Bosque School Emergency Response Team and Medical Reserve Corps since its inception in 2006. Founded by three high school students and guided by Dan, it has now grown to include about 40 students every year. As an instructor, Dan has provided initial and continued training to several thousand emergency responders. Dan has authored and co-authored more than 50 publications including two University of New Mexico Press books for youth. Joining Dan on the podcast today are three members of the MRC. Madison, who is a co-president, as well as Taylor and Abigail. As always, I do leave the best for last. This is one of the most amazing experiential education programs I've seen throughout the world. The level of training, trust, responsibility and dedication a student needs for this is huge and the maturity, confidence and life skills which come from this extraordinary program are phenomenal. This is a true standout in education today and I hope you enjoy our conversation about what they do not only within the school but to help the wider community. This is the Bosque School Medical Reserve Corps. Thanks for joining us today for the podcast. It's really great that we're able to chat with everyone about your medical reserve corps program. What's a typical day look like for you as a student who's part of the medical reserve corps?
1: Not every responder goes on a call every day. We actually generally don't get calls daily, but basically how our system works is we have three different faculty advisors who can call us if there is a need for a first responder to treat a patient who's having, you know, difficulty breathing or who injured themselves in some way. And they'll just call us and we can leave class for that period of time while we're treating that patient and get them the help that they need and then send them back to class. That's how
2: like our call system works. And so that's on-campus call. But like, Taylor, why don't you describe what you did on Monday with May?
3: Yeah. So on Monday, I went up with uh, the seventh grade class. They went up to Battleship Rock, which is maybe like an hour and a half away from here. And they needed a first responder there just to make sure everything went smoothly and just in case anything were to happen. So I spent my day up there, there with the seventh graders.
0: You're like the the woofer. For those who uh, know what a woofer is, wilderness first responder, you're the first responder that goes out with a field trip.
2: Right,
3: right, exactly.
2: Oh, very cool. And so Taylor and May, who are with our program, were out with the seventh grade class at a remote forest service location, monitoring the streams. And that particular group had a long-term patient who needs support because of an ongoing health issue. And so we just are always there in, that, in those kinds of cases to make sure that people like with chronic asthma or diabetes or things like that are supported, as well as just the general population.
0: So the overall scheme is called the Medical Reserve Corps. Maybe if we just back up a little bit and get a background to what is the Medical Reserve Corps and how did it actually come about? What are the origins of this really cool program?
2: I teach here at Bolske School and I'm a science teacher, And but I've also been an EMT for more than 30 years and I've fought fire and been an EMS, some combination of, or another for 40 years now, 1980 was the first year I fought a fire. And so I had this background of fire and EMS that some of my students knew about. And I had three students come to me at the very end of a school year in the middle of finals, ex- final exams and said, we've heard about this new national program called Medical Reserve Corps. And they have a program for youth called like Junior Medical Reserve Corps. And we'd like to set one up here At Bosque School, and I said, "Well, it seems complicated," and they said, "Oh no, we we can we can get this done." And these three students, trying to think what year, so this would have been two thousand and six. So in two thousand and six, like May, the end of our school year, these kids are coming to me and they're trying to get me to say yes, and I say, "Well." If we're gonna do this, it costs money because we need to have personal protective equipment, we need to have assessment tools, we need to blah, blah, blah. Just, I gave them a bunch of examples of things. And they said, oh, well, there's this grant that we can apply for and get $10,000 to buy medical supplies and other expenses. And I said, that's good, well, when's it due? And they're like, in two days. And I, <laughs> I was like, I don't think so. I'm in the middle of finals and I have to do all these report cards and grades. And they said, we'll do it. So these three students, one ninth grader and two 10th graders, so what would that make them? Uh, About 16 years old at that time, 16. They filled out a federal application for funding for this Medical Reserve Corps program, and they got it all submitted. And the one student in particular who led the whole project, Ivan, Like, I don't think he turned in any of his work to me as a teacher all year on time. But somehow or another, he got this thing done and sent in and it was approved. And then one of the things that makes us different than a lot of the other junior MRCs across the country is that those three boys had all been involved in ski patrol. and They had their wilderness first responder or wilderness first responder EMT. And so what they did is they said, we want to be able to use these skills in this medical reserve corps program so we recruited a physician to serve as our medical director and we applied to the state of new mexico to be a medical non-transport agency emergency medical agency so just like a ski patrol might work like a little health clinic or some something like that and so from those three boys who got that going and I just asked my own medical director would you be willing to be our medical director and serve in that capacity with us and he said he would he also was he'd also been involved with our students in a couple other ways so he sort of knew the kids and he had his own son kind of destined to come into our school so across that time each year the students have kind of built the program so we have now every year A cohort of students who are generally 15 take a dual enrollment class with the local community college and they work towards getting their emergency medical responder licensure and sit for the national registry exam and then apply to New Mexico. And the thing about New Mexico is the scope of practice. So I'll let some of the students tell you more about like what it is they're able to do within their scope in this state, which is atypical because we're a rural state.
0: The origins of this program are just absolutely fantastic. I love the fact that it was student led and by a student who really didn't take much interest in anything else by the sounds of it. And it's just finding what drives you. And I think that's awesome. So from the other guys, I would love to hear about that. So what can you do as part of this training? What are you able to do in the state of Albuquerque?
1: As first responders in New Mexico, we can drop two different types of airways in patients who are having Cardiac arrest. And then we can also perform CPR, which is a different licensure. It's just like a CPR card, it's just a CPR certification. And we can also administer a number of medications. These include albuterol, hypertropium, which we can actually use here at school. But the New Mexico first responder scope, you can use hypertropium, oxygen, aspirin, glucose, naloxone. Yeah. And the scope of practice in New Mexico is a lot larger than first responder scopes of practices throughout the United States.
0: And that's actually a lot higher level of responsibility than most of the teachers would have across Australia and across the world, to be perfectly honest. That's fantastic. How does a student join the Medical Reserve Corps and what sort of training do you do to get those certifications and the, the baseline qualification before you can be a first responder?
4: So when you are a sophomore, you kind of introduce to the program and you have opportunities to approach other members and Mr. Shaw and say that you're interested in taking the class and come to a lot of meetings (laughs) to show that you're interested and just be committed.
2: Can you describe a typical week for a new recruit and how many times we're meeting with them and then what happens to them in March?
3: Uh, Yeah, so uh, when a new recruit joins, it's more training than, say, we have because, I mean, they're first getting introduced to this. They have meetings, I think, twice a week. Like Mr. Shaw said, it's a dual enrollment with a community college, so that entails a week course, I think eight hours a day, plus however many other days you need to finish the training.
0: And what do you do within that training? A typical wilderness first aid, you're doing a whole range of generalized immobilizations, spinal assessments and care for that patient to maintain airways. Is it a similar sort of thing?
1: We mainly operate on school campus and you don't see a lot of (laughs) fractures that you need to immobilize on campus. Um, We do have a lot of asthma calls here and a lot of concussion calls because most of our students are very active in sports. But as Taylor mentioned earlier, we do go on the all-day field trips with middle schoolers to where if an immobilization were needed, we could perform that.
4: The recruits end up going to meetings about four times a week with the entire group and then just the recruits. And we go through a lot of scenarios that would involve a lot of respiratory distress and concussions, just so we know the protocols and what to do in those situations.
2: One of the other pieces to this I had sort of alluded to is When we have students who have particular long-term medical needs. We work with the families and the family's physician for those students to have a medical plan here on campus to support them. So how often a diabetic child might need to be checked or what oxygen levels are tolerable for an asthmatic, particular asthmatic condition, those kinds of things. And then like this morning, we met an hour before school starts, seven o'clock with our medical director. So we work under physician medical control, which allows this expanded scope of practice that includes the airways, the various pharmaceuticals to be used. And so today, as in many medical trainings around the world, what happened?
3: Well, we talked about the uh, novel coronavirus and how it's transmitted and many precautions that we can
0: take. It's a very hot topic at the moment, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But we need
2: to be prepared here on the ground so that if our school has a case that we are, have the proper personal protective equipment, we're protecting the safety and well-being of our own student providers as well as anybody who would be infected or potentially exposed.
0: That link with a physician is the next level really. A lot of schools don't have a physician contact like that. and. Uh, On a flip side, do you have a school nurse or is the role of a school nurse really quite redundant with your setup?
2: Presently, we do not have a school nurse. Our administration is considering getting a part-time nurse to kind of keep track of some of the paperwork about immunizations and things like that. But the goal is to keep our students as primary caregivers within our community. We also function like an emergency response team here on our own campus, but within this, federal program the medical reserve corps there are also things that take place out in the community and our local university has a mrc chapter that we often partner with to go and help out with some things and if you can give some examples of some of those
1: yeah so i have participated in a few different community trainings They're called CERT classes and I forgot what CERT stands for, but basically you can train just regular community members in basic first aid and like triage situations and basically how to help EMS services in multiple casualty incidents so that the process just goes faster and the people who need treatment can get it faster.
0: That would be really quite interesting to do.
2: Yeah, and we have students who have participated in public health initiatives like vaccination clinics. We've had students who have been called out to help staff evacuation shelters during inclement weather or mass forest fires. I'm sure you realize how difficult that can be to make sure people are cared for after a fire or when a fire is going on and they don't have regular access to their own medications or their own routines. So we've provided medical services in that capacity. One rural fire service was so busy fighting a large wildfire that our students were called out, but because they were under under 18, they weren't able, they weren't licensed to drive the ambulance or anything. So they were assigned a sheriff's deputy who uh, the police officer would drive the ambulance and then our students would ride in the ambulance and then provide the emergency medical care for that community while their primary firefighters and EMTs were off fighting the forest
0: fire. That is phenomenal. That is such an amazing contribution to the community. Just the the confidence that must take to do that and the confidence that would build, but also the additional resources, because in our own experience recently with fires in Australia, our resources were so stretched to the limits that something like that would have been wonderful to have support from.
2: Last year we had some refugees and asylum seekers who were coming through our city here in, in New Mexico, We're relatively close to the, the US-Mexico border, and after they had initially cleared customs, those refugee seekers were in need of sort of medical assessment, and most of them were Spanish speakers. So we had some of our students go and assist in the intake and processing of these folks. Many of them had been traveling for months, had been living in kind of fetid and squalid conditions, had real significant skin issues and worms and all sorts of things that were just not in the usual type of patients that we normally see. But they also, our students were primarily the Spanish speakers in those situations from the Spanish they know it from their own Spanish classes here at school So they were partnered with doctors and nurses who were not Spanish speakers And then they worked as a med tech to help assess and to help render care That's another example of sort of our medical reserve corps being called up to help the community
0: That's really good and that could be I imagine quite confronting as well How would you debrief or how do you support that sort of thing? Because that's a, I mean, it's a fantastic opportunity to help, but people having come through a refugee camp or living in squalid conditions, I could imagine that would be quite confronting.
2: It was, and we talked to the students and just kind of checked in, see where they were. It was very eye-opening and life-changing for them to realise the conditions that these kids that they were talking to Because they were often assigned to work with the children because the children felt more at ease with the younger providers (laughs) rather than the older providers, healthcare providers. So they really were on the front line and hearing stories like why people were seeking asylum because, you know, there was violence that had happened within their own family or to themselves. There were instances of sexual violence and kind of gang and torture sorts of situations that our kids are hearing about and having to process through. So yeah, it was definitely a conversation that we need to have to make sure that they had the resources to be mentally healthy themselves. We have another one of our students who works within our Medical Reserve Corps. Every Monday after school, she goes and works for three or four hours in a shelter facility that supports people that find themselves homeless, and she helps to provide medical care for people that are living on the streets.
0: That's yet another fantastic part of the program.
2: I was just gonna say, and another piece to this is sort of the education and training. So Madison, as a senior, has this leadership role that if you could explain sort of what you and the other co-presidents do, and then how long you get to do that job.
1: Yeah, so every year, there are a number of presidents chosen by Mr. Shaw to lead the MRC program. Right now we have five different presidents. One of them is our lead president who's just sort of at the top of like ICS command right after Mr. Shaw. And we all have specific jobs within the MRC. So mine is to train the recruits and I've had a lot of fun training them. They're about to take their class in 2-3 weeks.
2: And can you describe what the other four presidents look after?
1: Yeah, so Allison who's our lead president, she does a lot of quality assurance which is like checking over charts and a lot of our community outreach. Neil, who's a co-president, does a lot of budgeting. Lucia, another co-president, does a lot of our med room staffing and just making sure that we have all the medications that we need. We have masks, we have gloves. And then Ashna, yet another co-president, helps us with our long-term patients. And she is the main communication point from... Family physicians and families, and their patients, their children who go to school here, and the responders who help treat them.
2: So, as a senior, Madison graduates in about two months from now. Is that about right? Yep. That sounds scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, coming up behind her would be people like Taylor and Abby. So, can you describe the leadership roles you're playing this year as high school juniors?
3: Yeah, so at our school, uh, service learning is a core part of our curriculum. So we lead a group called MRC Service Learning, which is basically a subgroup of MRC. And the, di- the difference is kind of a blurred line, but we ca- we focus on a lot of student body education and community outreach. This year, we're going to continue a tradition called Angel Bags, where we collect female hygiene products, hand sanitizer, and just different Hygiene products, and we're going to donate them to people uh, experiencing
2: homelessness. Very good. And so, oftentimes, the leaders who work within that become one or more of our presidents in the subsequent year. So, there's this constant turnover. You're in the program for three years. Your first year as a 10th grader is almost all training bloodborne pathogens, patient privacy issues, incident command, on top of all your medical training and then running enough scenarios that you have the confidence to start treating patients. Your junior year, you're starting to treat patients and be supported by the seniors, and then the seniors kind of take the leadership role. And we have probably about a dozen seniors right now, 14, I think, that might be licensed, but several of them, they just provide service calls. They're not in a leadership role. They just are available as needed. And that's true for some of our juniors too. So, Abby and Taylor are some of our leaders from the junior class, but there's also others that are in the program but not in a leadership role. So, each year we turn over and we bring it through. So, one of the things that's different than like your normal kind of ambulance service or fire department is the turnover is pretty much guaranteed and you know what's coming and you know how many people will be leaving the program in the year. So there's this constant training of the older students to the younger students being ready to hand this program off. And I just wrote this afternoon a recommendation for one of the graduates from this program from last year, who she's applying to nursing school. And so we have a lot of our providers are interested in the healthcare field, and this helps them to build their confidence, build their uh, patient care skills, basic life support skills that will help them at any level. And so regularly, we've got a lot of these alumni of the program that are now physicians or nurses or other allied health professionals.
0: That's really good. And both on the fact that it does set students up for a career in medicine, but also regardless of what someone chooses to do after school, you have a skill set that is so valuable in a whole range of situations and contexts. So that's an an absolutely wonderful part of the program. And uh, I love how you've built in that succession planning in because of the fact that people do leave every school every single year. I think it's a fantastic structure to the program that you've been able to build there.
2: What were the motivations for the three of you to join?
1: My motivation to join MRC was actually because there was a time when I needed MRC support, and I was just really inspired by the way they treated me as a patient at the time. So, how old, I How old were you? I was in sixth grade, so I was like 11, 12, 12 or 11. And then I got to join MRC when I was 15. So those four or five years in between, I was really looking forward to joining and becoming a responder.
2: And long-term plans related to this?
1: Long-term plans for me, I really wasn't interested in the medical field until about two months ago, and now I think I want to stay in EMS.
0: That's fantastic.
4: Both my parents are in the medical field, and I have been around a lot of doctors and medical care providers, and it's been really cool to like hear the stories that they have to share and the patients that they get to meet. And so I have been really looking forward to having similar stories and getting to meet interesting people just like them. Very good.
3: My motivation is really similar to Maddie's. A couple of years ago, my mom was in a medical emergency and just being in that situation where I knew I couldn't do anything was awful. So I just knew I had to get my first responder license so I could be helpful in a situa- when a situation arises.
0: Excellent, and that feeling of helplessness. And I remember that before I did first responder training. I really wanna help out here, but I can't, I don't know what I'm doing. And it took a couple of years to build that confidence. So that's really good. And
2: so by having the kind of daily opportunity to train or sometimes respond to calls, but definitely every week people are learning and refining their skills, either through patient care or long-term patient care support, or training they're getting better and better and they're becoming more and more confident so when we do deploy them out into the wilderness settings like we did with taylor and may earlier this week they already have experience taking care of patients and yes we have a sort of a standard repertoire of calls for the school age population that we deal with they have a depth of knowledge that exceeds just those routine calls we have But they know how to do a patient assessment they know how to get information they know to recognize when to call for assistance and our trained members of mrc on wilderness trips have uh, oftentimes been needed to use their skills we had one even coordinating a helicopter evacuation for a kid that had a rock hit his head and so The level of expertise and confidence that they build up over time can really be deployed in an urban setting, but also in very remote settings where there's nobody else to look to and you might be hours or days away from definitive medical care. This way won't be their very first patient. And in some cases, people who take wilderness first aid training, that is their first patient is, is in this very remote situation. But these students in this program really have had an opportunity to know and to care for patients in a way that builds their confidence.
0: So within that program, and this is really a question for Madison Taylor and Abigail, and there's two questions here. What's the most challenging part of the MRC? And also what's the most rewarding part for you?
1: I think that the most challenging part of MRC sometimes you do get those tough calls. I've had three or four now that have been really long calls where I've been with a patient for up to two, three hours, and sometimes the student is suffering from drug usage and complications with that or is having a really severe panic attack and can't really move. So I'd say that that's the most challenging is seeing you know, people, you know, people you walk by to class every day and just seeing them in that situation and only being able to do so much for them. But then I also think that the most rewarding part about being an MRC is being able to help them, being able to help, you know, the people you love at home, the people that you care about at school, and just being able to give that service to your community.
0: How about you, Taylor?
3: I'd say also the most challenging part is kind of the unpredictableness of the calls. You know, you'll be sitting in math class and you'll get a call and just the anxiety sets in and you never know what's going to be in front of you. But the reward is just definitely outweighs it. You know, the middle schoolers definitely light up when they have a tummy ache and you're there to help care for them or they have a even just like a little cut and you put a bandaid on. They really look up to us.
0: Uh, That's really cool. I'm I'm sure that would be awesome. How about you, Abigail?
4: I would say the hardest part is that we go to school with these people, and we like some of them are best friends, and we know them, and having to treat them as a patient, and it's a different type of relationship, and it's more complicated, and it can be scary when you don't know what's going on and they're freaked out. But at the same time, it's been really amazing to build those connections, especially with the younger students who we wouldn't normally interact with.
2: Can you talk to the patient privacy? issue? Yeah, so
3: we, like any other medical profession, subscribe to HIPAA, which is patient confidentiality. So we're uh, not allowed to talk about names, uh, grades, or any identifiers of our patients, except with Mr. Shaw and in a MRC environment
0: that would be an additional layer of challenge for you guys knowing and going to school with the students that you're treating
2: and so there's these levels of trust that have to be established from mrc to the patients and if someone's having abdominal pain and the person uh, is, is a is female then you have to have certain questions like you know when was your last menstrual period is there any chance that you're pregnant all those kinds of questions that get into very personal and private information that is somebody who might be sitting next to you in your Spanish class tomorrow. So it is a tricky relationship, but our students have really kept it sacrosanct and been real. Somebody asked them, like, how's
0: Tommy doing now? What would you say?
1: They're getting the care that they need and I can't discuss it any further with you.
0: A lot of schools operate in this bubble and try to protect everybody from real-world experiences, but you're really breaking through that in such a mature and professional way with this program. You have those lines of delineation, but I think that's fantastic that being able to respond to medical emergencies within the school and be able to have that level of trust is amazing. Your program really impresses me.
2: What I often and I've been on the receiving end of this myself, is that it's not only the students that are cared for, it's visiting students, visiting teams, and the adults on campus. And those can be visitors or they can be staff or faculty. And so to be asking your English teacher about her medications that she's on and finding out something that might be very personal and knowing how that works. And it does work in this in this set setting. And students have received information that that is very personal and they're trusted. They're trusted by our administrators, they're trusted
0: by their teachers, and they're trusted by their peers. That trust is so key to it because in many schools, students are not trusted. Students are there to sit and be told what to learn and They're not actually trusted to explore, to try something new, to try something different, let alone provide first responder medical care. So I think this is such a standout program for anything that I've seen across experiential education in schools
2: one of my favorite stories there were some visitors to our campus and i was telling them about the medical reserve corps program and we had a student walk by who was in the medical reserve corps program and i said to him can you tell these people like what's the most important thing that you've gotten out of being in this in mrc and this student is like the most cynical kid i've ever taught and like oh, my God, anything that could be said cynically about somebody or some, something comes out of his mouth. And so he paused after I asked that question, and he said, how to help somebody when they're vulnerable? And it wasn't what I was expecting this kind of 17-year-old cynical male to say, but it truly changed his life, and he is tender with, when he's treating his patients and he's now gone on, he's, he's got his EMT, and he's been working in disaster management at the university level and then for a major airline.
0: That's awesome. It's really finding what excites someone, what really engages someone, and, and obviously that was his thing, so that's really cool. So really, how do you see this program growing and evolving into the future? It's been going since 2006. How do you see it continuing to be part of the life of the school?
1: I think that MRC is a really important part about the community here at Bosque. I just imagine the program growing with the school growing as well because we're only, what, the school's like 22, 23 years old? 25. 25, 25. (laughs) 25 years old. So a pretty young school. And just for a young school like this to have such an amazing program that we do, I think that there are going to be really big changes in MRC with changes in the school. And I look forward to hearing about them after I've graduated.
4: I think for the future and kind of the service learning has been working on this, we're looking at making more community partners in Albuquerque. And I think it would be really interesting for the future to be involved in Telemedicine, there's a telemedicine echo for first responders that I think would be a really interesting thing for MRC to be a part of and I think we could learn a lot from. So that's a direction we can go in in the future.
2: Very good. One of the pieces for our continuation is, I think I'll change a little bit, is we will have more alumni who are living in the Albuquerque area who are healthcare providers who will be coming in and being instructors. And we've had that happen a number of times so far but i think it'll continue to increase as our pool of alumni move into healthcare fields so about 20 percent of our high school students choose to participate in
0: this program that's a really high proportion of the student population yeah (laughs) (laughs) And, and i think for some students it is a reason that
2: they were attracted to enroll here was this particular opportunity
0: Well, as I said before, this is such a standout program and I was really excited when I heard the presentation at the Wilderness Risk Management Conference in Albuquerque last year. It really just triggered something. It's like, wow, that is a standout. I think the model that you're running at your school, I think many other schools could benefit from this, not just to grab it and go, yep, we'll run that, but I guess it's really that cultural understanding and that trust within the school that you've built over so many years that makes it such a powerful program?
2: Yes, and it's all precariously perched because one HIPAA violation of patient confidentiality or uh, some other kind of mistake that the students make, that even if like an adult made the same mistake, there'd be greater scrutiny and greater criticism that they would be under. Just because they are young, uh, it's atypical for... Students to have access to medications in a school that they're administering to other students.
0: Absolutely. It's not something I've come across before in, in my years of teaching either. So it's something that I really would love to check in with you guys again in a couple of years' time and just see how this program has grown and continued to, to flourish.
2: We would look forward to that, and there'd be a whole new set of students in the room because that's the way it works
0: thank you so much for your time this afternoon so thank you Dan thank you Madison thank you Taylor and thank you Abigail it has been a pleasure talking to you guys and hearing about such an awesome program that you're running at your school thank you thank you David that was Dan Shaw Madison Taylor and Abigail leaders and members of the Medical Reserve Corps at the Bosque School in Albuquerque For more information on the MRC programs at the Bosque School and a really cool diner that I had dinner at when I was in Albuquerque last, check out the show notes. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate us and leave us a nice review. It helps others to find the podcast and helps me to review and improve the show as well. If you'd like to get in touch or want to let me know about an experiential education program you're running, please drop us a line through the website that was the last episode for this season of the podcast and what a year to be talking about rapid change throughout the world thanks first of all to everyone who has shared their stories on here the past couple of months and thanks especially to you for listening and the great feedback we've had through the website i hope you've been able to take away some wonderful creative ideas to help you build and improve all of your educational programs no matter what they are We look forward to sharing more great stories with you from around the world in Season 3 as soon as they let me out of the country again. Thank you once again and all the best in everything that you're doing in Experiential Education.